So today's story comes from France and is by a girl and her experience in the summer of 1944. So a 13-year-old girl named Madeleine Arnoux was out on a hot afternoon on her way to pick up some food near her farm in rural France, likely black market food since it was rationed at the time. She rode along on her bicycle towards a hamlet known as La Verge, and she decided to stop along the way to pick up some berries in a nearby meadow that bordered the woods. As she sought out berries, she began making her way down a trail that led off into the trees, and this trail veered off to disappear around a bend. As she reached the curve in the trail, it was then that she allegedly noticed something very strange on the path ahead. She would claim that sitting a few hundred meters away was a gray metallic craft of some sort, described as being about the size of a standard car. The outer surface seemed to be perfectly smooth, with no visible openings or windows. But the strangest thing was that the surreal scene is that there was several diminutive beings standing around it. These tiny humanoid creatures were only around one meter tall and dressed in odd brown one-piece suits, and they seemed to be just standing there staring at her. She would say of what had happened next. They did not make any gesture in my direction. As to me, I was frozen on the spot. How much time did this mutual observation last? I cannot say, but I remember the oppressive atmosphere, still worsened by the thundery weather and of my impression to be unable to move. Suddenly, I managed to react and wanted to pick up my bicycle again, which lay within a few meters. The time to bend down and, by looking up at the strange appearance again, there was nothing anymore. Only at this place, the trees were agitated by a violent wind. I did not think of looking up in the air, where I would have undoubtedly still have seen the machine which flew away. At this point, she was rather terrified and rode her bicycle home as fast as she could. At the time, she did not think anyone would believe her, and so she did not tell her parents, nor anyone else for that matter. And so she would keep the incident to herself for many years, pushing it away to the back of her mind in an effort to move on and forget. At the time, she did not associate any of this with aliens or UFOs, and being a simple farm girl, she did not even know what a UFO was. Being an uneducated rural girl, talk of extraterrestrials and spaceships were far from her mind, and so she was left to puzzle about what that thing in the woods had been. Over the years, she would learn of the wider UFO phenomena and of other people who have encountered them, and she began to think that what she had seen could not be explained with any rational explanation. She would say, A long time, I thought of the strange encounter and then I would forget it. It was necessary that one starts to speak about the flying saucers for me to make a link and that I think I had undoubtedly seen one of those mysterious UFOs. After so many years, the image is still very clear in my memory. And I know that I had not dreamed and that what I saw in the woods that day had nothing known. It could not have been a vehicle of that time. Moreover, they were rather rare, so I say that I undoubtedly identify it. The place of the encounter was deserted. The way leads into the woods, and the closest farms were at least one kilometers away. We were in 1944. The men of the resistance were numerous in the area, but it could not have been any of them. Neither German soldiers, <laughs> undoubtedly one or the others, would have called me. It is thus necessary to think that I witnessed one of the first visits of UFOs. The thing is, she waited 28 years to come out with this story and has admitted she couldn't really remember much since it was so long ago. So what are your opinions about the story, Kelsey? So I have definitely heard about like alien interventions when, mm-hmm. it, when it comes to like humans at war. 
like that they will pick sides and they'll help people like decide that they deem they want to win so i wouldn't be surprised if this if there was alien encounters during world war Two, which mm-hmm. it sounds like this would have been yeah and um i don't know i guess it's unfortunate that she never told anybody so there's no one who can say like yeah like i can corroborate with her like she saw this mm-hmm. when she was younger but at the same time like i don't really believe that people who are just living their life are gonna make something up like this yeah yeah and plus she said that i don't know if any other people would have witnessed this because it was in a rural area and like she's just like a as they say simple farm girl so she was just out picking berries and then she just randomly saw these creatures and their aircraft and so like for me i wonder if she just stumbled upon them like where they doing conducting business in that area and then like she just happened to be there or if like it was an intervention where like they actually wanted to somehow make contact with her yeah well i mean we don't know if she's like now had her memory wiped or something like maybe that's Mm -hmm. another reason why she doesn't remember that much but it it sounds just like it was coincidental that she just happened upon them I don't know. What kind of aliens do you think this is, if it is any? I have no idea because I feel like the only description she gave was that they were wearing like a brown, like one piece suit, which I know that we have researched into different types of aliens and some of them are seen wearing clothing and then some of them are seen wearing clothing. And we had kind of associated that with like maybe levels of power. Yeah. The ones wearing clothing are like in positions of power where the, as the, other ones are like the slave race. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. Honestly, I feel like if, if she didn't notice like, oh, they looked reptilian or something. Well, the reptilians even, I feel like they disguise themselves. So you wouldn't know. Yeah. But um, I don't know. Well, brown uniforms, that kind of actually sounds to me like it could be a pilot. If I'm going to be more skeptical and say like she actually came across a pilot a human pilot. Oh, true. I think that if if they had a craft near them, it would have been a recognizable airplane. Like they didn't look that crazy. She would have realized it was a plane by now. Yeah, I mean, she did describe it as being like very smooth without any like windows or anything. And I think she said like the more she hears about UFOs, the more she's like, oh, it sounds like what i saw yeah it's like whatever she saw she doesn't have words for but what people describe she's like oh maybe yeah 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 i think it's i think it's possible but like it's hard to say because it's just her word but i if that was my grandma i would believe her (laughs) (laughs) gotta believe grandma of course exactly (laughs) But yeah, I mean, like hers, hers is an interesting one because it's like they, she never really did anything or was even visited like in the future Mm. by aliens. It was just like that one incident. Yeah. Like she just thought it was strange and never really thought much of it since. (laughs) Yeah. At least she lived to tell the tale. So thank you everybody for tuning in to episode four of Uncontroversial Facts Only. Today we'll be talking about the Betty and Barney incident. 
Kelsey, I know you have a little summary to say. I do. I have a lead. I have a teaser, I guess. So on the docket today, the first modern alien abduction. The year is 1961. An interracial married couple are driving home to New Hampshire from a quick weekend getaway vacation. They experienced something they couldn't forget and that later they didn't want to. They pushed to find out the truth despite social stigma and fear. They came to accept what happened to them, but do we accept their conclusion? Today, we're going to talk about the Betty and Barney Hill incident. All right, so what happened? Kind of like episode three, I'm going to go into pretty much the details of the incident, and then we're going to discuss more um, the particulars. The couple had taken a trip approximately 16 months after their wedding. They were considering it their delayed honeymoon. Betty was a social worker and Barney a United States postal worker. They left for the weekend in a hurry, taking with them $70 for gas, food, and a hotel. They made their way to Montreal and Niagara Falls. On September 19, 1961, they were returning home to New Hampshire. They stopped at a diner around 10 p.m. to grab coffee and rest a bit for the four-hour drive ahead. Barney was eager to head home. He wanted to beat the incoming hurricane and estimated that they should arrive around 2 or 3 a.m. They left the diner 30 minutes later. Betty noticed a strange light in the distance. She thought it was a falling star. She alerted Barney and they watched its progress as he drove. The light began behaving erratically. Betty thought it appeared to be following them. She told Barney to stop the car and use his binoculars to get a better look. Barney stopped in the middle of the road and walked into a nearby field. The bright object seemed to be coming closer. Barney could see a pancake-shaped aircraft with large windows coming nearer. Inside the windows, he could see six humanoid figures staring out. One in particular seemed to be looking directly at him. The figure somehow communicated to Barney a frightening message, and he ran back to the car, terrified. Betty had begun to worry because Barney had been gone for so long. Barney continued to drive, watching the light and trying to escape it. Suddenly, the couple heard beeping and vibrating noises. They felt a tingling drowsiness and a haze come over them. They regained consciousness of their whereabouts approximately 35 miles down the road. They continued to drive home and arrived on September 20th around 5 a.m. They couldn't account for two hours of their time and they felt dirty. They were disturbed by the appearance of their possessions. Barney's shoes were scuffed. Betty's dress was torn. Their watches no longer worked. The binoculars were ripped. They took long showers and kept the luggage out of the main house. When they examined the car, they could see strange circular spots that had not been there the night before. That day, Betty called her sister and a friend to tell them about what happened. The friend recommended that they place a compass near the car to see what happened. It spun erratically near the strange spots. Betty convinced Barney that they should report their sighting to the U.S. Air Force. She called on September 21st with a muted story describing the light, but not the intimate details of what they could remember. She did not want to come across as unstable or mentally unsound. The U.S. Air Force sent an officer on September 26th, five days later, to conduct an interview. After the event, Betty had nightmares of a strange room and an examination for five nights straight. She told Barney, and he sympathized, but he didn't think anything about it in particular. Betty went to the library and found a UFO book. She decided to contact the National Investigations Committee on Aerial Phenomena, or the NICAP. The NICAP opened an investigation on October 21st, a month after the incident. 
They interviewed the Hills several times for hours, separately and then together. They both described seeing a large silent hovering disc. Barney also described the figures within as somehow inhuman. The Air Force investigations and the NICAP investigations, I guess we could talk about what they concluded right here, Corey. Yeah, so they sent Major Paul W. Henderson, who worked for the Peace Air Force Base, and he had written reports for Project Blue Book, which is a famous um, project by the U.S. Air Force relating to UFO incidents. And so their official report was that Mr. and Mrs. Hill were traveling south on Route 3 near Lincoln, New Hampshire, when they observed through the windshields of their car a strange object in the sky. They noticed it because of its shape and the intensity of its lighting as compared to the stars in the sky. The weather and the sky were clear at the time. So there was also supplemental information such as the description of the object, description of the course of the object, and details of the location, which is included in Project Blue Book, but we're not going to go into that in this episode because there's just a lot of details. And if you want to look at it, you can look at it for yourself. It's all public information now. Mm-hmm. And so another interesting thing to know is that there had been two ground radar sightings of an unidentified object, one in Vermont and the other one in New Hampshire, which they didn't say that there was any conclusive connection between these events and the Hills incident, but they said it was possible due to the time and distance of the events. So again, there's a lot of things you could, it's all public information. So if you want to look at like what type of things that the ground radar sightings picked up, you can. And Kelsey, I don't know if you had something to say about that. Yeah, I was just going to say that um, the two radars are kind of like um, one of the big, there's not a lot of corroborating evidence in this, Mm -hmm. but that that is one of the big ones like they know that the air force at least picked up something that night i agree and it's really strange to like have the radars pick up something unidentified within the time frame of this incident that betty and barney experienced and that somehow not being related to their incident like i just find it very strange that all of that takes place at the same time yeah it would have to be a big coincidence yeah i I think they've also said that it possibly could have been like weather balloons because weather balloons are picked up on their radars and kind of fit the description of unidentified aircrafts but I don't know. I feel like weather balloons has been used as like their go-to like, <laughs> explanation for everything. True, since Roswell. Yeah. And so with the NICAP, they sent Walter Webb to interview the Hills. And he had written a lot of like extensive notes. He said that the craft seemed to move and stop without any sounds at close range. There were figures wearing shiny black uniform and they moved efficiently and smoothly without any emotion except for one that was operating a lever that looked at them and smiled, which I thought was a really creepy description. Cause like imagining, mm. imagine just one nasty little alien, like looking over its shoulder and smiling at you. Like, I don't like that. Yeah, that is. Cause it's just like, what do they know? And they know something, you know? Exactly. Like, is it smiling to be friendly or is it being like, mm, you, you're going to get it today. <laughs> <laughs> But also, they were saying that the UFO was estimated to be about five to eight stories high, which is crazy for me to think. Because, like, whenever I see 
or like think about UFOs, I'm like, oh, maybe like two stories max. Mm-hmm. But five to eight, like I would be frightened if like something that huge was like right in front of me. I can't imagine that it was that big. I think maybe, yeah, they just are confused on that point because that's like a pretty tall building coming towards you. I would, I don't know. I can't imagine. I've never seen a UFO like that, so I can't imagine it. Girl, you've never seen a UFO. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's true. I've never, with my own eyes, seen a UFO. But all the depictions of them, I would say, are smaller. Unless I'm looking at like Marvel, a Marvel movie where it takes the whole sky. And- true. I mean, I think a reasonable explanation for that might be that whatever it was was really big, and it was so close to them that they just thought it was like mm. super, super large. Because like, I can see that perspective of, like, I don't know if it's, like, hovering above them or, like, right in front of them. But, like, I'm sure if it was a giant aircraft, they might be, like, oh, my God, like, this is this thing is just too ginormous. I could see that. Yeah, it's just perspective. So, Kelsey did mention that they, they knew that there was, like, an unaccounted two to three hour time gap. But the weird thing is that they didn't realize that it... Like, something could have happened within that time period until this meeting with the NICAP because their memories were cohesive and it was, like, streamlined. So they didn't, although they're like, oh, we got home later than, you know, we expected. Like, they didn't think too much of it because they had remembered seeing the aircraft and, like, going and just driving home. Yeah, they didn't realize there was a hole. Exactly. Like, there wasn't, like, a blackout or, like, a blockage. So something um, interesting to also know is that one of the participants in the NICAP meetings was Major James McDonald's. He was a retired Air Force intelligence officer who is also really good friends with Betty and Barney. And he had suggested they try out um, hypnosis to find out what happened during the missing time span. But interestingly, Betty and Barney had taken many trips to the White Mountains with him and some other people in an effort to jog their memories. But one day after returning home from one of their trips, they found a pile of brown leaves on their kitchen table. Their doors and windows were still secured, so they weren't sure how anybody could have gone in. And as they were discarding the leaves, Betty found her blue earrings that she had worn on that night of the incident. And she had not even remembered that she had them on or that they were even missing. And she only told this story to her closest family members. And I'm just like, that is scary yeah that is like terrifying and you definitely feel like a second assault kind of because now somebody invaded your home like Mm -hmm. okay it happens when you're driving in the middle of nowhere like okay but this is like supposed to be a safe space and you know it was violated like they entered they placed things so it's just like i don't know exactly it's like it's worse i think having the feeling that you're being watched at all times because you don't know if they just saw you like get your blue earrings like they could have been in your house at that moment and that's just that's frightening yeah so i don't know if you want to go into the hypnosis yeah i'll continue my little summary so for more than two years both continued to feel uneasy about that night and the mystery of what occurred to them barney's health was declining he was extremely stressed and unwell 
As frequently as they could, the couple would travel to the area of the sighting, seeking answers, trying to jog their memory of what happened. They spoke to friends and members of their Unitarian church. At one meeting, they approached amateur hypnotist and writer John G. Fuller to ask if he could help them remember. He urged them to go to a professional hypnotist to try to recall the events of that night. In January 1964, they began what would become six months of hypnotic sessions with Dr. Benjamin Simon. He interviewed the couple separately in recorded sessions. What Betty and Barney allegedly remembered was quite disturbing and frightening. Dr. Simon had to end the session early for the fear, trauma, and pain that it caused Betty. We will now be playing some disturbing clips of Betty and Barney Hill during their hypnotic sessions. And the examiner has a long needle in his hand. And I see the needle. And it, it's, it's bigger than any needle I've ever seen. And he, I ask him what he's going to do with it. And he said, just a simple test to hold therapy. And I ask him what? And he said, he just wants to put it in my navel. And it's just a simple test. And I don't know, it will hurt. Don't do it. Don't do it. And he said, no, it won't hurt. And he takes a needle into my navel. And it's <laughs> And I'm crying, and I tell her it's hurting, it's hurting, it's hurting, take it out. And, and, and then the leader. Yes, keep looking. Could you hear each other? Oh, I gotta pull these binoculars away from my eyes. Because if I don't, I'll just keep staying there. Could you hear him tell you this? Oh, no, he didn't say it. You felt he said it. I, I know. You know he said it. there, yeah. Just stay there, he's saying to me. It's All right. I'll take you my head. All Don't right. Pull All the binoculars right. away. God, give me strength. All right. All pull right. it down. Run. Pull the binoculars down and run. God. It's says, my God, give me strength. I gotta get away. Oh. Oh. sure he was telling you this. <sighs> Calm down, you're still asleep. In their sessions, the couple remembered what occurred after Barney ran back into the field and tried to flee the area. They watched the light and felt his sensation come over their bodies. Barney came upon a roadblock and was forced to turn off the road. The humanoid figures, short and gray with slanted eyes, approached them. Barney, fearing for his life, submitted without a fight. He didn't bother to pull out the handgun that he had hidden under his seat. Betty was terrified. She opened the car door, ripped her dress trying to kick one of the figures, and attempted to run into the woods. Before she could get away, she looked into one of the figure's eyes and lost consciousness. When she reawakened, she and Barney were being escorted through the woods onto the disc-shaped ship. Barney recalled that his arms were outstretched and he was floating just above the ground, but his shoes were dragging, nicking rocks and debris. Betty was still crying. They told her that they were taking them to separate rooms so the examination could go faster. 
Both couples underwent a similar examination in rooms that were dimly lit with bluish light that radiated from the walls. The aliens appeared to be interested in their skeletal structure and their nervous systems. They took nail, skin, and hair samples. Barney wore dentures, and the aliens seemed oddly interested in them. During Betty's examination, the examiner produced a large needle. She asked him what it was for. He responded telepathically that it was a pregnancy test. She said she didn't want it and that it would hurt her. Another figure, the leader, reassured Betty that it was necessary and it would not be painful. They inserted the needle into her navel. Betty began to scream in pain. The leader did something to take Betty's pain away. After the examination, Betty no longer felt fear. She asked the leader where they were from. The leader produced some type of 3D map of their trade routes. He asked Betty, do you know where you are? She responded that she didn't know much about the universe and she did not. He said, if you don't know where you are, how can I show you where I am from? But he pointed out an area on the map anyway. Betty then asked the leader if he would return. She told him there are more important, smarter people than her. She could try to help him get in touch with them. The leader stated that was not his decision to make. She asked if they would visit her again. He said, maybe. She asked how they would find her. And he responded, we can find whoever we want to find. Blue earrings. That's all I got to say. <laughs> <laughs> After his examination, Barney was taken back to his car. Betty wanted proof of what occurred to them. She asked the leader if she could keep a book that was lying on the table. The leader agreed. When the crew returned, they decided that the couple could not be allowed to remember and she could not keep the book. The leader apologized for having to deny her the book and for scaring them earlier. Betty insisted that she would remember. She wouldn't let herself forget. She went back to the car and the aliens left them. The couple were where they had originally remembered coming out of the haze. Two hours had passed on the ship and they continued on their way home. During one of the sessions, Dr. Simon had Betty draw the star map as she remembered it. And when the sessions were over, despite the memories being traumatic, both Betty and Barney stated that they were happy to at least know what happened to them. On the Labor Day weekend in 1965, the couple finally discovered the landing site with their niece, Kathleen Martin. The ground was sandy and no vegetation was growing where the ship had allegedly touched down. Also in 1965, the Hills were contacted by a reporter, John Luttrell from the Boston Traveler. He insisted that he only wanted information. The Hills declined to meet with Luttrell. They did not want publicity. Their story was supposed to be confidential. They wanted to keep their story private. They didn't want to ruin their reputations or lose their jobs. The couple did not hear anything else from Luttrell, and they forgot about it, until about two months later when their story ran for five days straight. Their lives were upended. They fled to Betty's parents' house to get away from reporters and gawkers. Some of Betty's family was forced to move. So... That's pretty much what happened. So they didn't want publicity, but after the story was out, they did, I guess, end up making some money off of it. So yeah. John G. Fuller and Dr. Benjamin Simon, they ended up co-authoring a book known as The Interrupted Journey. And I believe that came out in 1965. And uh, their story also appeared in Look Magazine. And in 1975... A James Earl Jones movie was released titled The UFO Incident, and I believe that the Hills did sign a deal, so they made some money off of that, too. Which I don't blame them for. Like, yeah. if you're going to put my story out there, and I already told you not to publicize any of this information, and you decide to do that anyways, yeah. 
and cut me the check. Yeah, it's true. I mean, like over a year had passed since they had gotten their hypnosis sessions and they were contacted first and they put them on blast, even though they didn't want to. Mm -hmm. Yeah, at that point, they were just like, might as well, like it's out there, whether we want it or not. Mm -hmm. Some, but they were going to make a movie whether they agreed or not. Exactly. Yeah. And Betty afterwards was much more vocal about what happened. She started to lecture like uh, locally to high schools and stuff about their experience. And also her uh, niece, Kathleen Martin, mm-hmm. is, has been like a proponent into like the whole incident. Like she has pretty much, I want to say all her life because like she was a young girl when like this all went down. And then so um, like she spent all the time till her this day and age still fighting for their story and like researching and trying to figure out what happened yeah and she herself like she is a teacher right yeah she's a teacher she does this on the side because she believes her aunt and uncle and she just like wants people to know the truth she doesn't like like that people slander them that they're liars i mean like she's she has made money but she's also spent a lot of time in this so she's written a couple books and i think that's primarily where it's come from so yes yeah yeah so should we talk about some of the evidence that you know pretty much came out during everything yes so the first i mean the evidence that we have seen during the night of the incidents was obviously the compass that spun erratically when they placed it on the spots of the car Betty and Barney's watches they just kind of like stopped working mm-hmm. since September 19th and the 20th you know for, at first they didn't think much of it because you know wind up watches they just stop working if you don't wind it up but like for some reason it just like it's not repairable mm-hmm. anymore it's just like it totally broke. yeah they could never make it work again exactly. yeah I was curious to know what time it stopped at but I couldn't find evidence of that I didn't see that either. Yeah. I just know they, they just gave the night of the incident yeah. pretty much. Um, Which I don't even know if they even, even recalled like the exact time they ran into the UFO either. Yeah. And like if we would be able to even pinpoint like, oh, you know, it stopped once they saw yeah. it. Yeah. Well, that's just what I would have been curious. And I was like, did it stop at 1 a.m.? At one time, like and theorize exactly when mm. it did. But I couldn't find evidence of the time but um yeah so there's the compass the shoes um just like how barn i mean like they were scuffed and both barney and betty said that they remember barney's feet dragging as he was being taken into the ship so that's a plausible explanation for what happened and the same thing with betty's dress being torn is like during her fight to try to escape she tore it I mean, something interesting about her dress was that she pretty much forgot about it ever since that night until 1964 when she took it out of her closet. She noticed that it was coated in like a pink powdery substance. And I mean, I think she she must have not really cared what that was because she just put it, um, her dress on the clothesline and like the powder just blew off into the wind. So like she, she didn't like, take samples of what it was or really cared what that powder was. Yeah, I don't I mean, like, I don't know if she was in a position to, like, think, like, oh, let me preserve 
as much evidence mm-hmm. as I can. But yeah, later there were tests ran on the dress. And mm-hmm. I think that there is like unidentifiable inorganic material, but yes. um, nobody has seen the pink powder that she said she saw. Yeah, like she sent it to a chemistry department at the University of Cincinnati in 1977. And then there was the inorganic compounds that they weren't sure what it was, but they did tell her that if she had somehow saved some of that powder, that they probably would be able to identify what it like, at least like which components it was composed mm-hmm. of. Yeah. So it's just like, it's unfortunate. Just lost. Yeah. <laughs> it's unfortunate. It's lost. It's out there. Yeah. <laughs> and something I guess it could somewhat be related, but I'm not too sure is Delcy, their dog had suffered a fungal infection. And they did note that, you know, although Betty and Barney had like showered and cleaned themselves extensively, they had not done the same for the dog. Mm-hmm. Yeah. She had some type of fungal infection and she was acting very weirdly too like she would whimper and like bark randomly she they said that it's like normal behavior for dogs to kind of do that but also she felt as if it was more extensive Mm -hmm. yeah abnormal for that time yeah like sudden probably another so we have the radar evidence Mm -hmm. that uh, some unidentified objects at least captured in two different states and locations and the star map was really big kind of smoking gun evidence for a long time. Mm. Yes. Um, there was very intelligent Mensa member, uh, this lady named Marjorie Fish. She was a amateur astrologer, astronomer, sorry, and teacher. And she saw Betty's star map in, I believe, in the paper in the Boston Traveler. And mm-hmm. she decided that she wanted to see, like, she wanted to take the data and see if she could find where this star was from. So she started constructing 3D models with beads and string. And she um, basically went to, I believe it was the, a school that had um, these catalogs of like star data. So how far away stars are from Earth. And um, she just started mapping out. But obviously there's a lot of stars and so it's just like she had to, I don't know if it was with help, but she determined which stars were potentially, could potentially um, support life similar to life on Earth. And she ruled that down to 46 of them. And she spent, I don't know how much time making several models and like definitely more than 10, I think possibly up to 20. But she was eventually able to find a close match and it was in the star system. Well, the stars are called Zeta Reticuli 1 and Zeta Reticuli 2. And so this is why sometimes the grays are referred to as the Zeta Reticuli. Yeah. I would like to add or kind of clarify that Mensa is a high IQ society. So I didn't know that. And I'm sure most people don't know. I mean, maybe I'm one of the outliers that I didn't know what Mensa was, but it is a high IQ society. So like she is considered a genius. And yeah, she, um, she had been saying that she expected a lot of patterns to resemble um, what Betty had kind of drew, like as she was recreating um, the model, she thought that she would run into 
a lot of different models that kind of represented the patterns because you can't get like an exact representation mm -hmm. as she thought. But once the 1972 catalog of nearby stars came out, she was able to find one exact match that fit angle for angle and line length for line length of Betty's drawing, which is why people were saying that's amazing that you were able to find one pattern that exactly fit what Betty had drawn. Yes, there was a statistician actually that was quoted as saying it's like one in a thousand, if not one in a million chance that they would get an exact match. And basically, so this was, they thought like evidence, okay, there's no way that Betty under hypnosis could have produced a map of a star system, especially before the data was even out. She did this in 1964. Exactly. The data came out in 1972. So it was like, oh, that's yeah. it. This is real. <laughs> But unfortunately, <laughs> in the 90s, um, the data was updated, the catalog was updated, and it changed essentially the entire, all the math, like all the distances were different. And uh, Marjorie Fish, in her obituary, she retracted her statement, and she said that it was very unlikely that the data did not support life because the stars were now too close and it just made her map not match Betty's anymore. So, which I mean, a lot of people are probably thinking like, oh, does that mean Betty's map is false? I don't think that is like a direct correlation to say like what she thought she saw is like completely like made up. Mm -hmm. Like maybe there is a pattern out there that with our newer current data should match hers. And like, maybe it doesn't point to Zeta Reticuli 1 or Zeta Reticuli 2, but a whole different star system. And so, you know, maybe we're still looking at the wrong things. Yeah. And as of right now, there's no one that anyone knows of that is doing the work to do that, to try to find out if Betty star system matches with anything else with updated data. But um, yeah, potentially her map still shows something else, some other star system. There's still billions and billions and billions of stars. So we never know. Um, also, some, oh, actually, go ahead, Corey. I was just going to say that, you know, a lot of uh, skeptic people have been like saying, like, why would aliens want to visit Earth? Like, what's so special about us? Like, if they're so advanced, like, why would they not obliterate us or like take whatever they want from us? Right. Mm -hmm. And then so. I don't know if this is like a comprehensive list made by um, Kathleen Martin or like, or she just kind of heard like discussions going around about like what makes Earth unique. But they were saying stuff like our planet is the only planet in the solar system that is covered by water on our surface. Not only that, we're also the densest planet in our solar system, meaning we have a lot of dense elements and these dense elements have special properties such as uranium being used in nuclear experiments. So it's just like, you know, there's things that I feel like people wouldn't think that is like so special about Earth, right? Because mm. like, they're like, oh, you know, other planets are special. They probably have things that Earth doesn't have. It's true, but also Earth has things that are, you probably can't find on other planets. <laughs> yeah, it's true. I think Earth is, I mean, there's just, a lot has to be right to to allow for life to exist as we know it. I guess alien life could be different than as we know it. But the Goldilocks zone that Earth lives in, 
I think that the, it is possible that it exists somewhere else, but it's hard, I think, for us to imagine or for skeptics. I think they were just imagine. saying stuff like, oh, you think gold is just like a normal material here, right? But maybe it's gold is so rare and it's used for special mm. things and it can only be found on our planet. Right. So, so it's a reason like for them to come here. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Which we could, I don't know if we want to bring up Anunnaki and gold <laughs> back from episode two. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I believe that the Air Force or the Project Blue Book, the one of the criticisms of the event is that there are no witnesses. But actually, mm-hmm. the reporter who contacted and broke the story to the public, John Luttrell, there's a letter that he wrote where he states that he interviewed 12 to 14 people in New Hampshire, all of whom said they saw something at the same time, at the same location, who do not know each other. So he has 12 to 14 people that confirm in that area that they did see the UFO. So I'm not sure if, and that covered, like coupled with the double radar, makes me like kind of lean more like there was something I think out there. I mean, there definitely, I agree that there definitely had to have been something out there, whether or not it was a weather balloon that could easily be mistaken as like, oh, maybe it is. A, well, I mean, a lot of weather balloons have been mistaken as a UFO. Maybe that's also, I could say, what most of these people saw, like a weather balloon at night, and they just couldn't really see well, and they thought it's moving very weirdly. I don't know. It doesn't look like a um, aircraft that we I have usually seen. And so I'm just going to say it's UFO yeah. or not even say UFO, but like, I don't know what it is. Yeah. <laughs> and I think a lot of hangups that people have about uh, Betty's story in particular is that, well, first of all, it came out under hypnosis. It's just like, what the hell is hypnosis? That's fake. So... <laughs> <laughs> So we were like, that doesn't mean anything. Like maybe Dr. Simon pushed her to remember certain facts in a certain way. But um, I mean, her story is very, very similar to her nightmares that she had following the incident. So some people say that Barney just kind of absorbed her nightmare. And Mm -hmm. that's what they both like combined into their hypnosis session and they also say that the aliens that they described were similar to aliens that had just aired on tv on an outer limits episode so they're just like oh they're not necessarily being nefarious about it but that you know their memory is wrong yeah i mean i guess it's it's so hard for us to say somebody's memories are false right like they, there were studies that said regression therapy has been known to create false memories sometimes. And like, you know, you could be influenced by something to think that this is your true memories. Yeah. So I feel like it's really hard to disprove or prove that her memories were very true. But yes, you're right that because they linked very well to um, what she has written about her dreams mm-hmm. and nightmares that like, there is a definite linkage. The I the main theory that everyone, well, that skeptics have is that this was just a product of them being sleep deprived. You know, maybe they just fell asleep behind the wheel and then they woke up two hours later and continued their way on their way home. Do you think that that's 
possible or likely? I feel like no, just because it's was it's so hard to disprove what they've experienced this far. There's been so many different aspects about this story and still there hasn't been like a conclusive like oh no this had totally been faked due to this yeah so i feel like you know with being sleep deprived yeah you might have like false memories but then everything suddenly linking together like the ripped dress the erratic compass the watches breaking dog getting sick even uh barney had said that he felt like they had examined his groin area during one of his hypnosis sessions mm-hmm. And he had developed some type of, I I forgot what they called it, like venereal um, warts or something. Oh, so he called like an STD yeah. from them? Yeah. So like they, they said that that was what it was because he had like warts down there. Oh. And then so when, when they removed it, the specialist had actually said, these are not venereal warts. Like mm. we're just removing this pretty much for cosmetic purposes because there hasn't isn't hasn't like linked to anything like medical mm. and so i'm just like hmm interesting i don't know if this is like oh it happened to him and so like now he came up with the explanation for it yeah. or cuz he had already told the story and then boom something weird related to that experience happened oh that's interesting yeah i also agree that i don't think it could have been sleep deprivation because there is like okay i've been very very tired in my car driving home mm-hmm. and you know that you're exhausted you feel exhausted um i've never like closed my eyes behind the wheel and then like woken up but i've been like okay i need to pull over and i need to sleep that's not what yeah. happened here um like oh i need to pull over i need to sleep and then they wake up 2 hours later that's not what happened yeah. i think it's also strange that Okay, if they had a hallucination, both of them, like, why was it kind of the same? Mm-hmm. Like, and also, like, Barney's the one driving. And so, like, I would think that they're, they aren't both the same amount of tired. Mm. Like, Betty probably is more awake than Barney. Mm. So, I feel like it's, it's like, so much easier for the passenger, though, to fall asleep. So, oh, because you're not doing anything. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I still think that. If they were sleep deprived, it doesn't explain everything that happened to them. Like there's okay, they fell asleep behind the wheel. Why are his shoes messed up? Why is her dress mm-hmm. torn? Yeah. yeah. So I think there's just too many unanswered questions. Like I could see how they could say the light that they thought they saw was actually from a tower. It wasn't a UFO, but okay, well, what happened to them? What happened to their car? Yeah. Do you think it could be possible it's like a combination of things, like combination of sleep deprivation and hoaxing? <laughs> like, mm-hmm. I just don't think that they had a lot to gain from a hoaxing. Mm-hmm. Like, to me, unless they leaked it to the reporter, then they were trying to keep it silent. Like, I think they were sincere in trying to find out what happened. Who are they hoaxing? before this point their family who they had going yeah. with them to like go look yeah. at this location like it just doesn't make sense to me but it's also like family but then the families are contacting all these like i want to say high official ish people like you know retired military people and like physicists and stuff so it's just like they did have like i guess 
higher profile people following them. That's true. Um, like even the day after that incident happened. So just me being like, yeah. oh, you know, there was also people out there. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I could see that point too. I just, um, I don't know. It's one of those, like, it's hard to believe that two seemingly normal, intelligent people who have a lot to lose would hoax it. But um, I don't know, like maybe they were more eccentric than we thought. Maybe they did have plans, elaborate plans to make money from it. Yeah, I don't know. Like we can't really say because we don't really know. But I think, I don't know. I guess I've, now that I've sat with all the evidence and everything, I think something happened. Uh, But I don't know if the aliens, if the alien abduction, I guess, was what occurred and if the aliens that they described were what they saw mm-hmm. i think mm-hmm. yeah i think maybe um their aliens if they were abducted they might they probably don't remember what they looked like just because they had never described it before i wish i wish that that outer limits episode didn't come out like <laughs> right before like if 12 days earlier they could have had their hypnosis session then that wouldn't be a yeah. question yeah. yeah, that's hard. Yeah, for me, I think after seeing everything, reading everything, and looking at all the evidence that was presented, I do agree also about, like, there had to have been something that took place on that night that is hard for them to recall. The whole abduction thing, I want to say, I still do kind of believe that aspect because it seemed like there was just so many details that I don't know it as a person who's into UFOs, I guess when I read it, like I know there's some bias because I look at UFOs and I'm like, I want aliens to be there <laughs> um, that it just seems like, Oh, it's so sounds so plausible like that, that could happen to them. It's just crazy. Like, you know, the examinations that she was describing, it just seemed like it's it's hard to imagine um, somebody making that up and making it just sound so realistic and flow so well. Yeah, <laughs> actually, that's a point that I didn't mention that I did see is that that naval pregnancy test is something that didn't exist at that time. It was invented in 1988, I want to say, and um, they used that test to like check for uh, it's like a prenatal test where they check if um your pregnancy is going to result in like a down syndrome baby or like any kind of i guess chromosomal anomalies so it i mean it's something though that didn't exist at that time and came to exist like 20 years later so it's Mm -hmm. yeah i don't know if that's coincident if you don't believe her it's coincidence if you believe her then i guess they had technology that we didn't have yet yeah (laughs) so true well, I mean, I guess we will never know. <laughs> I mean, it, it's going to be like an unexplained mystery until there's mysteriously more evidence that comes out or the government comes out and says that, yes, we've been visited by yeah. aliens and we've been interacting with them all these years. Yeah, if they release like, yeah, we lied. We retri- we kept all this evidence off the books, but really we discovered mm-hmm. this. Yeah, that's what it would take, I think, at this point because... there's not going to be new evidence that comes out that we can accept. I would like to add that now I am pretty terrified if I get 
um, abducted by aliens. <laughs> because I guess even before reading this, I was driving home in a pretty desolate area and it was like late at night and I had to actually use like my high beams to like see the road in front of me. And I'm just like, oh, this is kind of eerie. And like, what if I actually just got abducted right now out in the middle of nowhere? I would be definitely terrified. And after hearing Betty's um, hypnosis sessions and like her screaming and Barney too, like they're, they both sound so terrified. They're both screaming. They're like fearing for their lives. I'm like, okay, I really just was imagining aliens chilling with me and like, we'll be like discussing, you know, intergalactic stuff. <laughs> I don't, but I know they do not want to be talking that with me because I don't know. I don't know that exactly. much. <laughs> They're going to point out the star and say, where are you? Okay, you don't know. And then you don't need to know intergalactic or intergalactic trade. Exactly. They're just going to be like, you know, you got disease. We'll give you some more. (laughs) (laughs) Here's some warts for later. (laughs) Oh, my God. Please don't ever give me warts. Or I guess that'll be my excuse. I got warts from aliens. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Okay. Well, thank you, everyone, for listening. Follow us on Instagram uncontroversial facts only we really want to see you guys there we post funny content we post hype videos funny videos um and our twitter is unconfacts only that one's a little bit more dead but follow us there too so it could be less dead <laughs> email us at uncontroversial facts only at gmail.com tell us your alien stories tell us what you think about the podcast like leave us reviews what can we do better what should we drop like let us know we want to hear it exactly like if you don't like kelsey and you just want this to be a solo Corey <laughs> podcast let us know or let me know <laughs> <laughs> yeah. thank you everybody for listening and we'll see you on episode five